So here we are, another Sunday, Zoom Church. Good morning uh, once again, and let's get into the message this morning. Uh, depending on what article you read, people in our culture are spending somewhere between 10 and $13 billion a year on self-help books, videos, podcasts, coaching, et cetera, et cetera. I think, why is that? Why is that such a huge uh, business in our culture? And I believe that there is something in many of us, if not all of us, that says, I'm not all that I could be. Uh, and part of this, as I look at scripture, part of this is actually God's design that came with the fall. Uh, Adam and Eve, they opted for autonomy. They declared independence, if you will, from God. I can be like God. I just have to have the knowledge to be able to do that. So they, they declare their independence. And Romans chapter 8, verse 20 says, For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In other words, not only is there this sense of dissatisfaction deep in our hearts, but everything that we do in this world to try to fix it is futile. Like Solomon. Solomon was the, the greatest of all kings. Uh, he had fame. He had prestige. He had everything money could buy. The Bible says he denied himself absolutely nothing because um, he had the, the power and the, and the money to do all that, denied himself absolutely nothing. And when all was said and done, Solomon records these words that it was all vanity. It was all like chasing after the wind. Uh, you can run and grasp things all day, but it's always just beyond you. And when you get all done, you have two handfuls of nothing, right? And that's what it is to try to uh, fix ourselves, to try to go after the things of this world and say, I got to have this to be happy. I got to have that to be happy. There is a futility. There is a dissatisfaction that is built in uh, to us from the fall that uh, is really quite a blessing because it causes us to reach out and hopefully to reach out to the Lord. Um, Augustine, the, uh, the third century bishop and theologian uh, who's been called the most significant Christian thinker since the Apostle Paul, he wrote these words. He said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. It's, it's kind of like this. Um, have a stack of really nice tires in the garage. And what do you have? You got a stack of tires, right? Now put those same tires on a Lamborghini hitting the quarter mile in under nine and a half seconds. And now what do you got? Suddenly, those tires are a part of a world record, right? No longer just rubber and steel belts. They are now forever linked with the car that made history. It's what they were designed for but could never achieve on their own or on a lesser vehicle. So likewise, each of us, you and I, all of us were designed 
to be joined to the Lord and be part of something bigger than ourselves. A God plan, if you will. Something that he wants to do and he is inviting us to join him in doing it. But we got to see this too. It's more than the plan itself. It's more than just accomplishing something. It's what you and I become in the process. And that is the best version of ourselves. It's who we are when it's him and us together. It's who we were created to be. It's us in our full potential. It's what John Ortberg uh, puts it in the study that the men's group is going to through. It's it's the me that I want to be. It's that thing inside us that says there's more. There's more. Think about Peter in the Bible. As we follow him through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see a guy who is impulsive. He's reactionary. He's always putting his foot in his mouth, right? That's Peter. But what happened? Peter became a wise leader with a great and positive influence on the, on the people of his day. And still, through his um, life story, through his recorded words in the scripture, he's still making an impact on people's lives, a strong impact. 2,000 years later. What was the difference? The difference is that when Jesus said, follow me, Peter said, yes. Peter said, yes. What I want us to see this morning is not only can and will God do amazing things through our lives as we partner with him, but who we become in that process is the us that we've longed for. It's the missing piece. And it doesn't matter what mistakes we've made, what kind of character flaws we still have, because at least I still have them, um, the sins and inconsistencies that you and I struggle with, or what kind of hurts we've suffered in the past. Look what happens. We get back into John chapter one this morning. Look what happens when Peter meets Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 40, and one of the two who heard John speak, as John the Baptist, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, the first thing we've got to understand in this is the importance of names in the Bible. Many times those names were not just an identification. They were a description of who the individual was. Take uh, Jacob, uh, one of the most famous examples. His mother, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, was pregnant with twins. And Genesis 25, 24 says this. When her days to give birth were completed, Behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was like a hairy cloak. So they called him Esau, which means hairy. Um, there's <laughs> descriptive, right? Uh, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. 
So his name was called Jacob. The name Jacob literally means he who grabs the heel. But in a practical sense, that word is, is used, it means supplanter, one who takes over another's position. But there's also this negative connotation with that word in, in that it's, it's like the hostile takeover. It's someone who's underhanded in doing this. They supplant somebody. They're, they're um, again, underhanded. They do it deceptively. And if you know the story, when Isaac was old and blind, Jacob and his mom, they hatched this plan so that uh, Jacob can get the blessing of the firstborn. In other words, he would get the lion's share of the estate because he was, Jacob was his mom's favorite. So what does he do? He puts um, lamb and goat skins on his uh, arms so that he feels hairy like Esau. Apparently Esau was so hairy, uh, it was like a, an animal skin. So he puts these things on his arms. And Jacob, you know, feels him and he says, oh, well, you sound like Jacob, but I guess, I guess you're Esau. And then Isaac pronounces this blessing on Jacob. And it's not something that we really get in this culture, but uh, as you follow it through the different patriarchs and you see what they said over their children, it became prophetic. It was something they did. Uh, prayerfully, and it was not something that could be undone. Even though Jacob spoke those words, or Isaac spoke those words over Jacob and not Esau, they were binding. They could not be undone. So, of course, Esau was, um, you know, quite upset about how it turned out, and that's why Jacob, you know, takes off and runs for his life, because Esau vows to kill him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, Jacob supplanted right his brother by deception so his name heel grabber uh supplanter his name became uh descriptive of his character right um same thing we see with simon okay simon is how they would refer to a reed swaying in the breeze right in other words it goes wherever the wind takes it Whichever way the wind blows, that's the way that reed's going to go. And that was Simon. That was the reactionary, impulsive Simon that went with the wind wherever it went. But notice what happens. Andrew brings Simon to Jesus, and the Bible says, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, we can't miss this this morning. This is another one of those times in the Bible that we can just gloss over words that might seem insignificant, um, but they're actually really important. It says, Jesus looked at him. It is so important not only that he looked at him, but who it was that did the looking. Isaiah 11 once, uh, speaking of Jesus, says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots. Um, Jesus was a descendant of Jesse, who was David's father. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. And it says this, He shall not judge by what his eyes see, 
or decide disputes by what his ears hear. In other words, Jesus, the Messiah, right? God in the flesh, he's not looking at Simon with natural eyes, nor is he judging Simon's future based on his past. Jesus is looking at this man through the Holy Spirit. And he sees in him what nobody else sees. He sees the diamond in the rough. He sees his potential. He sees what will happen when this impulsive reed shaken in the wind partners up with God, when he himself is filled with the Holy Spirit, what can happen in this man's life. Just like those tires put on the Lamborghini, he sees a world champion. He sees someone who's no longer just swayed by the wind or whatever whim comes along. He sees someone who eventually is going to build his life upon truth and upon faith. And he won't keep changing his mind, but he will become absolutely convinced in what he believes and who he is and who Jesus is. And he is not going to budge from that come what may. He will become a rock. And that's what the name Cephas means. It means rock. We translate it as Peter, but then the meaning is the same. It means a rock. So now think about it. Say that you're Simon, okay? You're standing in front of Jesus. He's looking at you. You know who you are, right? Elsewhere, when, when, when Jesus you know, told him to throw the nets in and they got all the fish, if you recall that story, uh, Simon says to Jesus, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Simon knows who he is. He knows his weaknesses. He knows his past. He knows his struggles, right? And then Jesus, if that's you, Jesus looks at you, knowing everything about yourself. Jesus looks right into your heart and says, you will be called rock. Talk about mind-blowing, right? You will be called rock. In other words, this is more than just a handle. This is more than just, hey, Pete, you know, this is how people are going to see you. This is how people are going to refer to you. This is who people know you are. You are now a rock. It's kind of like the name Barnabas, right? Uh, Barnabas was not his name. They called him Barnabas, the book of Acts says, because that name means son of encouragement. Barnabas was such an encourager. He went to find Saul, who was uh, thought he was going to be this great preacher, and then was stuck on the shelf. And Barnabas came, and he built him up, and he brought him to the other disciples, and he started out in ministry and, and all this. Barnabas was this great encourager, which we all need, right? But that's what he was called. He was called the son of encouragement. Oh, here he comes. Here comes the son of encouragement. Isn't that a great way to be known? It wasn't his given name, but he was called that. And likewise, Simon, shifting sand, right? Another, another term that they would use. Um, impulsive. He's going to be known as, here comes Peter. Here comes the rock. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, not only uh, strong in himself, 
but someone that others could lean on. That which deep down, right? Deep down, we know there's more. We know we're destined for more. We know that there's something else in us, but can't quite put our finger on it, right? And this isn't the only time that we've seen this. If you, if you look throughout the scripture, this isn't the first time. Jacob, right, the supplanter, as he commits his life to the Lord, his name is changed to Israel. From that point on, he's called Israel. That name is pretty um, difficult to interpret because it uses a verb that is so old that modern scholars are really kind of unsure of its meaning. But if you read it in context, Genesis 32 says, beginning of verse 28, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. This was Jesus in one of his few appearances in the Old Testament, um, where he appears in an angelic form and physically wrestles with Jacob. Okay. I don't have time to get into the, all the ins and outs of that, but they are literally wrestling together. And Jacob says to him, Jacob begins to understand just who this is that he's res been wrestling with really his whole life. And now they're physically wrestling. And Jacob says to him, I am not going to let you go until you bless me. You see that attitude, right? Wow. It says, God, I'm serious here. I want what you have for me. I want everything that you have for me. And I am not going to let go of you until that happens. Until I have the assurance that I am totally yours, that, that you are going to accomplish your purposes in my life. I'm, I'm physically, literally not going to let you go. And that's what happened, right? Um, Jacob became the father of uh, 12 sons who became the, the uh, patriarchs of, of all of Israel and so on and so forth. Uh, Abram and his wife Sarai. Now, both of their names, again, it would take a lot more time, but both of their names actually are names of prominence. Uh, and yet, it's, it's prominence in a local sense. But as they follow the Lord, God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah, which meant that they would now be prominent in a global sense over many nations. Okay, You're, you, you got your little thing going here and it's good, but I'm going to give you so much more, right? And as we know, the name of Abraham and Sarah, they, they are, not only are there, you know, Jews dispersed throughout the whole world, but their names, their history is impacting, has impacted the whole globe, right? So they have prominence, not just in a little area, but over the whole, whole world. Gideon, we talked about last week. With Gideon, it wasn't so much of a name change as much as, again, what God saw in him. Here he was, we talked about this last week, he was hiding in this wine press, right? He's the least in his family, and his family is the smallest in all of Israel. And again, Jesus appears to him, Judges chapter 6, and says this, 
The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Mighty what? You, you're talking to me? Who? Right? Mighty man of valor. You got the wrong guy here. I'm the mighty man of valor. I'm a nobody. But again, Jesus doesn't look to what is. He looks to what can be. And the same goes for you and me. Not trying harder in our own strength, but putting our life completely in the Lord's hands, coming into union with him, that which Jesus made possible by the cross, took away the sin that separated us from God. So coming together in union with him, and then by giving ourselves fully over to him and his will for our lives, not in a, oh, okay, I surrender kind of sense, but with that desire to become our best selves, that desire to reach our full potential, that desire to grab a hold of, of what we were created for, or as Paul says, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me, right? So we might already be in a good place like Abram and Sarai, but so often, more often, I think, like Jacob, we have a past, don't we? A past that's riddled with failures, with hurts, wounds, with broken dreams and disappointments. Or maybe we're just in this place where, you know, we've, we've, we've come to and we've set it in our hearts. This is it. This is it. This is me. This is as good as it gets. This is just who I am. And whether, whether, whether we're really in a rut or, or depressed or whatever, or whether, you know, we've just kind of, again, settled in a place, um, this is as good as it gets. It's all I have to look forward to. There is no great dream or vision for me anymore, right? No. Jesus looks beyond all of that to what can be still in your life and mine. I'm praying this morning that God would give us vision, a vision that is um, a, a vision of endless possibility because you and I serve a limitless God. He can take us from wherever we're at, us and him partnering together, moving forward into the purposes of God that we can become at any point our best selves. We can become that thing that we've longed for. We can become, uh, the, the, our, reach our full potential in him. And that we can say with Jacob, I'm not going to go or I'm not going to let go until you bless me. That's the attitude. That's the response. I know, God, I feel it in my heart. You have more for me. So I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I want it all, Lord. Here I come. Here I come. Doesn't matter what the past is. Doesn't matter how bad we've screwed up. Doesn't matter what rut we might find ourselves in. Jesus always looks today and tomorrow and can do amazing things amazing things in and through us beyond our wildest dreams. Amen.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the goodness that you bestow upon us, Lord, the, the, the mercy, the undeserved uh, grace, the undeserved blessings, Lord, that we have in Christ. But we thank you, Lord, for the value that, that we find in you, that, Lord, you look at us and, and you love us right where we're at. You, you don't, you're not disappointed until we become everything, but you love us right where we're at. But you also love us enough to want to bring forth from our lives our best selves, our full potential. So, Lord, draw us. Draw us into your presence. Fill us, Lord, with hope. Fill us, Lord, with a vision for the future that we might truly be all that you've created us to be. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.